ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Other people have hobbies, stamp collecting, crocheting, that sort of thing. I, I have streaming services. So selfishly, I am extremely invested in a news story that has been grabbing headlines these past few months, the writer's strike. Now, the big streaming services like Netflix and Amazon are saying that writers are getting more money up front, but the writers are saying that it's become impossible to make a living. I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Quick Smart, the show that feeds you big ideas in bite-sized pieces. So how has the streaming industry changed the way that television is created? Is it possible to make a living as a television writer these days? And is Netflix and Chill about to be cancelled? Someone who has been watching a whole lot of TV, for research purposes of course, is Hannah Reish. Hello, Hannah. Hi, Tegan. So the writer's strike in the US, been in the news a lot lately, officially ended after 148 days, which is a really long time. Can you give me some background on what they were actually striking about and what they wanted? So loosely, writers and actors are striking to make their lives more sustainable. And sustainability has been interrupted by the streaming system. But just to break down a few of the demands of the writers who were organised under the Writers Guild of America, they include increases to minimum wages and streaming residuals, the introduction of mandatory staffing numbers and minimum duration of employment, and stronger contributions to retirement and healthcare funds. So I've been following this issue in the US closely and I wondered about what it's like for Australian creatives, for screenwriters and actors, and whether they're having similar issues or different ones. So I dug into it a bit further for a digital piece for ABC Arts. So the the whole thing is really about like coming away from casualisation. So that can be a problem sort of no matter what industry you're in. But what is it about the streaming services specifically that have kind of supercharged this? So... Before, when we all just watch TV by sitting down, turning on the TV, okay, Laura and Order SVU is on, yeah. let's do again. this again, again. I loved it before and I'll love it again. <laughs> there would be these really long seasons of television on network TV, like there'd be 24 episodes of TV and they'd be, you know, 45 minutes each. And that would create a sort of situation where, okay, writers would be employed for like six months of a year and then they'd make enough money over that time that they could spend the next few months living off something called residuals or just like patching together other bits of work and then they'd come back. So they could kind of make a life out of writing. In the age of streaming, uh, instead of these longer seasons of TV, you'll probably notice that when you're watching something on streaming, they're like six episodes, eight episodes, much shorter seasons. So there's just less work to be had. And more importantly, they're available online globally immediately. So this thing called residuals is now no, no longer a way that writers and actors can make money in between gigs. What is a residual? That's a very good question, Tegan. I'm Sounds like what's asked. left in the glass when you think you've finished drinking your drink, but there's just a tiny <laughs> bit left over. I guess, I guess that's not a bad way to look at it. So before uh, streaming, when a show was put on television and it did really well, then an overseas network would be like, hey, we want to play that. Okay, so Seinfeld is doing gangbusters in America. So Australian TV you know, channels are like, we want to, we're going to broadcast it. Then it, when it gets broadcast on those international networks, a portion of the money that is paid for the right to broadcast goes back to writers and actors. So that's residuals. It's the royalties you can make off the thing that you made later when it's rebroadcast or played again. So is it not that you're just getting that money all in one hit at the beginning? 
because the thing that's really amazed me about this writer's strike sort of following the news through it is that people who I associate, like I know who they are, I know the show that they're, they're from, it's massive, and they're saying that they've gotten maybe sense out yeah. of that. Yeah, so a really good example of that is uh, one of the actors from Orange is the New Black, so Kamiko Glenn. So Orange is the New Black is kind of interesting because it was one of Netflix's earliest hits. So for people who, like, I, they, they might not recall this, but Netflix actually was a DVD delivery service <laughs> originally. Um, so when they first started, you know, making their way into streaming, one of their first shows was Orange is the New Black, and it was a real win, not just for Netflix, but for, like, diversity on screen representation. But we're finding out now, all these years later, even though um, Orange is the New Black is still very popular, the actor Kimiko Glenn, who was a cast member, made only $27.30 in royalties last year. So before the age of streaming, if you were like, yeah, if you were part of a hit show, you would actually see income from that for a very long time. It sort of sounds like the whole pipeline's broken, right? Like the the opportunities for people to even develop skills in these writers' rooms and then once you get in there, the contracts are shorter or non-existent and then when the, the shows are actually going out, the profit stream that would usually come back, it's structured completely differently. Like with the demands they're making, like who are they asking for money from or how could this model actually work? They're asking the studio and the streamers to cough up some of the money that they're making. So in Australia, for instance, the AFR reported that Netflix made more than $1 billion from Australians in 2022. Oh, uh, they're welcome. <laughs> we're, we're very into streaming. It's not just you, Tegan. You're, you're, you're the only one. Like, we I as feel a like nation... I'm at the Vanguard. <laughs> well, thank you. But can we share that money that, that, that you're responsible for? So, yeah, they're asking for a share in that income. I do think it's important to note that, like, the situation with what do the streamers, how much money are they actually making, it's a bit of a moot point because they're basically they're a streaming bubble bursting is inevitable. Once we had the big tech giants move into streaming, like Apple and Amazon, they're like throwing an absurd amount of cash at creating content. And it's really unclear, are they making that money back or are they just sort of generating content and just talking up their asses and we're not really sure what's happening. So again, it's a lack of transparency from the streamers. If streamers were more transparent about what's going on, then there'd be a better sense of how to share income if there is any. So... It's not just an American problem. There are Aussie writers and actors who are being sort of stung by this same issue. Yes, yes. So this is exactly why I wanted to write this article for ABC Arts because I wanted to understand how how it works for Australians because there are lots of Australians, writers and actors in Hollywood, so it impacts them in that way. But looking more at our local industry, we have similar issues and different issues. So Claire Pullen, who's the executive director of the Australian Writers Guild, was basically saying a lot of the things that the Americans are fight, were fighting for and are fighting for in the case of the actors are things that Australian screenwriters would dream of. Oh. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Which is grim. So she's like, oh, my God, uh, we want all those things. And what's an interesting thing that's going on is that the federal government, they've got a national cultural policy. Yay, we haven't had one in a long time. It's something that we needed. And as part of that, they've said that they're going to introduce local content quotas for streaming services, which is like something that a lot of people in the Australian screen industry have wanted for a long time. It's like a minimum number of Aussie shows yeah. on Aussie streamers. Yeah. So if you're going to get $1 billion from us, then can you create some Australian content, please? And the streamers, even before this introduction of content quotas, have been starting to do that anyway. It's very encouraging. Heartbreak High is a really good example from, from Netflix. Another good example is Deadlock from Amazon. So these are great Australian shows, Australian creative teams. But what's interesting is that often the streamers are asking creatives to surrender intellectual property rights over their work, which would limit their ability to make money off it in the future. If you no longer have 
IP, intellectual property, over something, like over your idea, then you're not going to make money of it in the future. So what Claire Pullen from the Australian Writers Guild was telling me was that what they're trying hard is in conversation with the government is to ensure that for it to be Australian, count as an Australian quota, we maintain our intellectual property rights over that. So I think that's a really interesting thing that, that's coming is, is hopefully the introduction of Australian content quotas and assurance that we will maintain intellectual property over it. It's so important for us to get this right because I fear the day in like two or three years time when I sit down on my couch at 8pm and there's just nothing for me to watch. Yeah. So <laughs> where where do we even start fixing this? We, they, I don't know who, not me for sure. <laughs> I mean, what the Australian unions, so both the Australian Writers Guild and the MEAA, the Media and Entertainment Arts Alliance, which represent performers and actors. And um, journalists. And journalists. They are curious to see what happens with the US strike. So the writer's strike, it did end. And the results of that were interesting. Outcome of the US writer's strike was that they have agreed to increased foreign streaming residuals, which we were talking about earlier a viewership-based streaming bonus, which would require streamers being clear about the viewership numbers, minimum staffing length, the minimum size of writer's room. So they agreed to all of that. So I think what the Australians are saying is we're going to look to what happens with the US and try to emulate some of those things when it comes time to renegotiate our agreements, which isn't right now. AI is one thing, though, I want to talk about mm. because that's something that is, it seems to be a bit of a sticking issue with why the actors are still on strike in the US. There was a concern about the use of AI for screen, like replacing screenwriters, you know, basically AI, chat GPT or whatever those, what, what are they called? Um, complex language. Large language models. <laughs> Large language models yeah. eating up all these scripts and going, here you go, here's your law and order SVU. <laughs> you know, this is, this is another, it is pretty formulaic. So if anything could do it, it's probably AI for <laughs> law and order SVU, but something, but something more creative would require creative thought. And so, you know, screenwriters are concerned about their intellectual property basically being gobbled up. And so there seems to be some agreement with this writer strike ending about the limitations of the UCAI. But with the actors, they're concerned because there are reports that studios were asking background actors, so extras, for one day of work to basically have their likeness digi <gasps> digitally scanned and then the studios could just insert them into anything. <gasps> Oh my gosh. It's really absurd. So, but imagine like I went along, they scanned me in and then, you know, I watched a movie years later and it's like, it's about like Nazi Germany. And then I see Hannah Reich, you know, and I'm, I'm suddenly an extra and I'm like, oh no, like it's kind of ethically confusing and concerning. Like where, how are you going to get used? And yeah, replacing human labor. And obviously I think people listen to these conversations sometimes and go, oh, these artists, these actors, my, our hearts bleed for you. But like, I mean, as the conversation started, we do consume this media and it's important for people to get paid for the work they do. Yeah. But also, yeah, with the AI stuff, we should all be concerned. <laughs> you know, this is this is a major issue across industries. If, you know, we don't want to be replaced. We should re be really watching out for how the actor strike resolves, both, you know, if you're worried about or concerned for Australian creatives, but just just as a human being. You know, if my likeness is going to be inserted into Law and Order SVU, I want to be paid for it. <laughs> Absolutely, but you won't be in this system, so be concerned. That's be very, outrageous. very concerned. So sorry. It's going to be some sort of copyright infringement. Yeah, Anarish, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to an ABC podcast.
Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.